0: Welcome to the Good Chris Sylphian Talks podcast. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help each one of us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post at the start of each week for you to listen with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to hear. And now, let's hear more about this week's talk. For our talk this week, we're listening to an exhortation that was given at the Simi Hills Ecclesia back in May 24th, just this past year. That was given by our brother Dennis Padgy from the Verdugo Hills Ecclesia during Simi's live stream. And he's focusing specifically on 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. If you would like to turn those up while you listen to his exhortation, that would be a good place to go. And he is taking a really close look at these six verses. And specifically, three words that come out of these verses the words flee, pursue, and listen quietly. Uh, and also, this exhortation was given right after a baptism by a new sister. And during the exhortation, Brother Dennis is mentioning that sister a couple different times and mentions that these five verses, which are Paul's exhortation to Timothy as Timothy starts his service to the Ephesian Ecclesia that this exhortation, this chunk of verses, is applicable to all of us, just in the same way that Paul mentored Timothy as a spiritual father. Also, these words can be used to encourage and push us forward. Brother Dennis has a, a really great manner about him when he gives these exhortations where he's very structured, he breaks it down, but he has lots of little nuggets that he'll almost like pull in at random points while he's talking. Uh, he'll he'll make a comment and then he'll make a little, little side comment that, brings just that little bit more depth into the topic that he's looking at. So it was uh, a really enjoyable one, uh, a really encouraging one, uplifting one, one that kind of lights a fire on you, gets you kind of passionate and moving forward. And one of the other things that is really interesting throughout is Brother Dennis is a really great storyteller. So as a result, he provides these very detailed stories of some camping trips that he and his family used to go on that help really give you a real visual Anchor to grab hold of when it comes to describing these three words: flee, pursue, and listen quietly. Uh, it was a, a great exhortation. I remember when I when I heard it, it was one that w- sounded really good, and wanted to share it with everybody here. Uh, as always, please continue to send in uh, recommendations. Uh, so, if you have them, please continue to send them in. Uh, we're appreciative, as Levi mentioned last week. Uh, we're now going back to once a week, so it'll be being posted on Sunday for you to listen during the during the coming week. But please keep sending in your your recommendations. Uh, we really appreciate those. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope that we you find this to be an uplifting and encouraging place for you to find some little bit of spiritual upliftment in your week. And with that, we'll turn it over to our brother Dennis Padgy for his exhortation. Flee, pursue, and listen quietly.
1: Good morning, everyone. Near and far, um, here, all of us, and remote. A few thanks, first of all. Thank you to the Simi Ecclesia and the the Simi Brethren for providing all of us a spiritual lifeline during this time of COVID-19. And a special thank you to uh, Brother Jim, who has been behind the scenes working diligently from the very beginning. So we're very, very appreciative. Thankful, very thankful to our Heavenly Father for what we saw this morning. And thank you to our new sister, Lisa, for making this a special Sunday for all of us. Our thoughts this morning will come from First Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. And while you are turning it up, I would like to share two experiences to help all of us remember two key words in Paul's charge to young Timothy. Those who, of you who know our family know that we love the Virginia Lakes area and the Eastern Sierras, and that we have had canoes and kayaks in our family for many decades. And I'd like to share two experiences from uh, being on the water that will help us hopefully remember two key words from the Apostle Paul. One evening about dusk as I was fishing in my kayak, I witnessed a good example of the meaning of the word flee. There was a young woman, perhaps in her mid-twenties, who was fishing from the shore on the opposite side of the lake, about 500 feet from me. All of a sudden she began to hoot and to holler. She had hooked a large trout and was letting the world know what she had on the end of her line. After a few minutes she was able to pull it to shore and held it up for her companions to admire. About five minutes before she had hooked the trout a bear had come out of the forest down to the lake and slowly began moving in the direction of the young woman. It was making its rounds foraging for fish that had, been, that had died during the day and were floating on the surface of the water. The bear was heading generally in her direction, but very slowly, so she was in no immediate danger. She and her friends were making so much noise and were so focused on the big fish, they were unable to hear any of the warnings that were being shouted to her by the fishermen that were nearby. When the young woman and her companions finally looked up from their celebration, they too saw the bear now about 200 feet away. They had plenty of time to get away from the bear but I could see from over 500 feet away in darkening light that there was panic in their movements. Uh, There were quick decisions about what to grab. Should we take the fish, especially that big one, Um, or just leave them all for the bear to eat rather than eating us? Um, What about the chairs? What about the fishing tackle? What What about my jacket over there? So I could see all that activity going on. I'm happy to report that the woman and her friends were able to escape, taking all their gear and the big fish, and they lived to tell the tale. It was a graphic example of the meaning of the word to flee. Another experience, again on a lake, this time Mono Lake. Usually on our trips to the Sierras, we drive down to Mono Lake, which is a very large and salty body of water. It's home to algae, alkali flies, and brine shrimp. And the feed, it is the feeding and resting spot for millions of migratory birds in the breeding and nesting grounds for a very large percentage of the California seagull. Mono Lake is famous in the, wa- the water wars of the Owens Valley versus Los Angeles. And has unique structures called tufas, tall spires which are deposits of calcium carbonate, which, with the receding waters over the past decades to centuries, are now in some places above the water invisible, some even on dry land, some a few hundred feet offshore, and some still deeply submerged in the depths of Mono Lake. We love to canoe and kayak around the tufas that are in the water and we enjoy seeing the nesting ospreys, owls, and swallows in the tufas. Sometimes we paddle over to Rush Creek, which is about three miles away towards the western end of the lake, and have also paddled around two large islands on the northwestern side of the lake, also about three miles away. We like to be off the water by 11 a.m because on most summer days, there is a strong wind that usually blows from the south. We park at Navy Beach on the southern shore of the lake, so when the wind comes up, it blows us across the lake away from where our vehicles are. On a few occasions, the wind has come up earlier and stronger than we have anticipated, and we have had to work hard to make it back to the southern shore where the trucks are parked. When you are paddling as hard as you can, with your head down, your legs braced against the sides of your craft, all your muscles being used to generate maximum power for each stroke, it is a graphic experience that illustrates the meaning of the word to pursue. Back to 1 Timothy. Timothy, 1 Timothy, is one of four letters written to individuals in the New Testament. First and 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon are the four written to individuals in the New Testament. And the letters to Timothy and Titus are considered to be pastoral letters for they deal with matters of organization within the ecclesia. And Philemon is considered to be a private letter but really, all four of these letters contain both pastoral and private encouragement from the Apostle Paul. A bit of background on 1 Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and others were with Paul in Ephesus for the two years that he stayed and preached there. And towards the end of his, it was towards the end of his third missionary journey. And Paul left Ephesus soon after the riot that was instigated by Demetrius, the silversmith. And we are told that Timothy and Erastus had left just before that riot. The details of Acts chapter 19 make for very noisy reading. You will remember that the Ephesian mob was in the theater shouting for two hours, Great is Artemis, great as Diana of the Ephesians. The ruins in that area indicate that the theater was about 150 yards by 100 yards in size, and it had excellent acoustics. And they estimate that it held between 17 to 22,000 people at full capacity. Think Staples Center in Los Angeles, As I think about that incident in Acts chapter 19, just as I think about it, my ears ring, thinking of the constant noise and the constant intensity of those two hours. Imagine, two hours, great is Artemis, the god of the Ephesians. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3 tells us that Paul urged Timothy to stay at Ephesus to help guide and organize the ecclesia. Timothy was probably in his late teens when he started to travel with Paul, and he was still considered a young man in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12 from our readings yesterday when Paul told him to let no one despise him for his youth. And we're now about 13, 14 years after his first encounter with the Apostle Paul. And so Timothy is now in his early 30s. Brother Brad last week spoke to us about the mentorship of Joshua by Moses. And we see the same pattern with Paul and Timothy in the Acts and in the epistles. So Timothy is perhaps in his early 30s when he is given the responsibility in Ephesus, and it must have been a challenging task. From what we are told in the epistle itself, the ecclesial environment was at times chaotic and contentious. There were strong personalities holding wrong beliefs and teaching wrong doctrine. There were rich and poor, there were Jew and Gentile, there was brother and sister slave owner and their brother and sister slaves within the Ecclesia. And the great temple to Artemis Diana in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And no doubt there were some in the Ecclesia who came from that background as well. The Temple to Diana was a major tourist destination for its day. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire would come, not just to see the great temple and the statue of the goddess, but to buy the silver shrines that Demetrius was so worried about. They would also need places to stay, food to eat, entertainment of all sorts, And so the whole city was affected by this pagan temple and would certainly benefit financially from the busy tourist trade. We would like to focus our attention on today's reading, chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, where in a few words, a few verses, Paul encourages young Timothy. After sharing instructions for the ecclesia in the first five chapters, the apostle moves to consider false teachers and true contentment in chapter 6, from the middle of verse 2 to verse 10. And he concludes this section in verses 9 and 10 with warnings about the love of money and returns to that same warning in verses 17 through 19. So sandwiched between those two warnings about money and about materialism, we find our mini-exhortation to Timothy and for us this morning. And if the Apostle was concerned about materialism in the Ecclesia at Ephesus, he might well be concerned about the same issue in the Ecclesias of our Western world. So let's look over Timothy's shoulder as he reads Paul's warning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And that first phrase is the key point, isn't it? Those who desire to be rich. Because when he uses the word desire, he focuses on our inward attitude, our state of mind, the way we think, the way we feel towards money and towards material things. And perhaps Paul has Demetrius the silversmith in mind here. If you remember, in instigating the riot in Ephesus, Demetrius says a couple of things, and we'll turn back pretty quickly to Acts chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Context again, this is Ephesus at the time that Paul had preached there now for two years. And there arose, verse 23, no little disturbance concerning the way, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. And here's what he says to instigate the riot, verses 26 and 27. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Verse 27, And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So inserted in his concern about the great goddess Diana, Artemis, is also the comment that this trade of ours may may come into disrepute as well. And so he's concerned about financial things. He desires to be rich, and he desires that source of income to continue. And Paul says, those who desire to be rich to Timothy and to the ecclesia fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Then he goes on to verse 10, and it's a verse that is often misquoted, isn't it? And so because it's misquoted, we need to be sure we read it carefully. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but the love of money. And he goes on to say that it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. When Paul says love of money... It is the Greek word philarguria, philio is part of that word, and that's our old friend love, friendship. So Paul says it is friendship, it is the love friendship with money. And the word that he used that is translated money is the Greek word for silver, silver. Perhaps again, there is that reference back to the riot in Ephesus, where Demetrius the silversmith, with his love of silver, was instigating the riot that would result finally in Paul leaving Ephesus, and not until Timothy would come back to continue to work with the ecclesia. So as Paul concludes this first epistle, he now begins to exhort Timothy about spiritual goals, about his courageous Savior, and about his powerful Heavenly Father. So let's think about his words, starting in verse 11. He starts out this little section, But as for you, O man of God, Paul could see what Timothy was capable of. And he challenges him to fulfill that vision, and he names him with a, He gives him a title. He gives him a new name, if you will. O oh, man of God, we just saw this morning the beginning of a walk in Christ of a young lady who now has a new name. It is now Lisa, woman of God. It is now sister Lisa, sister to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we apply, as we imagine these words applying to Timothy and to ourselves, sense how you feel when you hear this phrase addressed to you. But as for you, O woman of God, But as for you, O sister of the Lord Jesus Christ, that applies to all of us, doesn't it? Wherever we might be, however long ago our baptism was. And insert your name here in the passage. But as for you, Brad or James or Lisa or Paula or whatever that name might be, as for you, O man and woman of God, all of a sudden you take a, a... a little deeper breath and your shoulders get back a little bit more because you are being called to a high position and great responsibility and wonderful blessing so this is how Paul begins this mini exhortation to Timothy as he closes this epistle but as for you O man of God flee these things, and they are the these things that he just talked about with false teachers and true contentment, with godliness, with warnings against materialism. And flee here means to run away from, to shun, to get away from. And think of our earlier example. Realize what this action verb requires us to do. It requires us to recognize danger for what it is, and then run away from it. Now, it's easy to recognize a 300-pound bear 200 feet away. That's pretty easy to recognize, isn't it? But sometimes in spiritual life, it's harder to recognize what those dangers are. Quite often, they are attitudes and thought patterns and our own weaknesses that are that draw us away from God. And so when Paul says to Timothy, flee these things, it requires a perception, doesn't it? And it requires us to run away from those things. He told the Corinthians to flee from idolatry, and he will tell Timothy in 2 Timothy to flee youthful passions. And again, it requires a recognition of the danger that we find ourselves in and the wisdom and the energy to turn from them and go in a different direction. And then he says, pursue. Notice that contrast. Flee from these things and now pursue. And Paul does that a lot, doesn't he? In other epistles, he talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. He speaks of putting off and putting on. He speaks of recognizing the man of the flesh and choosing to be the man, the woman of the spirit. And pursue here means to follow after, to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing, to press on, to earnestly endeavor. And again, think of the example of head down, body braced, muscle straining, to earnestly endeavor to reach that shore against the wind. Again, it is an action verb. It tells us for one thing that we have not yet completely attained. We need to pursue it. We need to chase after it. We need to earnestly endeavor. So what are the things we need to pursue? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness gentleness. It sounds like attributes and lists that Paul uses quite often in his writings. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's think on these things. So let's let's very briefly think about these things that we are supposed to pursue. We are supposed to pursue righteousness, being right with God, being right with man, being right with each other, serving God, serving man. Godliness, word means piety and reverence, has the idea of living our lives in the presence of God. Faith, it's not just the conviction, but the trust in the God who has promised Not just to understand intellectually what he has said in his word and what we see throughout the Old and New Testament about the covenants that he made, those covenants of promise. He is a faithful God, but it means as well and more importantly for us, perhaps, the trust that whatever happens in our lives and in our world, our God will fulfill what he has promised. We are to pursue love the love that god has for us the love which motivated jesus the love which needs to change us and that word there is the agape love steadfastness in some versions it's translated patience and it means perseverance under trial or during exertion it means we we have that goal and we want to get there and we have to keep working at it. Not that in and of ourselves we can achieve that, but with God's help we can get closer to the type of character that he has called us to become. The word means bearing up to be able to overcome. And finally, gentleness. The word that means mildness, mildness, meekness, the ability to fight our own sin and struggle with our own sin, but to be able to forgive and to be patient with weakness in others. And that's tough sometimes, isn't it? And then he goes on and says, fight the good fight of the faith. And this phrase has the flavor of a wrestling match in the presence of spectators, doesn't it? and we can hear echoes back to hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 where we have this great cloud of witnesses and we are in the middle of a stadium competing it's the same kind of idea fight the good fight of faith take hold of the eternal life and this is a funny phrase isn't it it's a bit of a paradox the word itself means to grasp something so as not to let it get away from you. And again, it's the the feeling of of a wrestling match. Think Jacob wrestling the angel. But in this case, it is take hold of eternal life. Well, how can we mortals take hold and grasp something that is immortality? And perhaps a better way to think about this is not so much eternal life in terms of the immortality part of it, but rather the spiritual things in life which are eternal. Grasp the life, grasp the values that are eternal values. Take hold of that, don't let that go. And then Paul goes on and talks to him about the good confession that you made, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses. That's the end of verse 12. And perhaps this is a reference back to Timothy as he now comes into contact with the Apostle Paul back in, in Lystra and in Derby, And perhaps Timothy was before the ecclesial elders and answering questions and talking to the Apostle Paul, and he gave a good confession of his faith and so he was chosen by paul to go with him as a co-worker as a friend as one that paul could trust in and send on any errand that he would have him go and in later life we know that timothy did go to prison and so in later life he would give a good confession to roman authorities and tradition has it that Timothy died a martyr's death, just like the Apostle Paul. Paul doesn't leave the matter there. He goes on and he reminds Timothy, verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. And so now he begins to expand the mind of Timothy. He said, not only did you give a good confession before many witnesses, but you're following in the footsteps of your Lord and master. Think about him. He gave that good confession before Pontius Pilate. So Timothy now steps back and realizes that he is part of a pattern, part of a fabric if you will, of of spiritual life, and he is reflecting in his life what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He is confessing and making a good confession before the elders of an ecclesia, just as the Lord Jesus Christ confessed before Pontius Pilate and made that good confession and showed his courage and his resolution and his faith in his heavenly Father. But Paul doesn't leave it there either, does he? Verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is challenging and exhorting and encouraging Timothy not just to look back to his good confession and to the good confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, look forward to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look forward to that kingdom. Have that in your mind as you live your life and make your changes and make your suggestions in the ecclesia at Ephesus. And then in verse 15, he takes his mind even further afield because he reminds him of the God that he serves verse 15, which he, God, will display at the proper time, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is is as if Paul can't contain himself now. That pen just keeps going and going, and and there are not too many periods in this section, are there? It's one of those run-on sentences that the apostle Paul so often writes for us. Paul can't contain himself. And he wants Timothy to not contain himself as he thinks about not only the Lord Jesus Christ and not only the coming kingdom, but the God of gods who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So this is your exhortation, Timothy. These are the things I want you to remember and here's why I want you to remember them. And so we've thought about Paul's stirring words to a young brother and to a young sister. And we come now to remember our Lord who demonstrated perfectly when and how to flee and how to pursue and live those perfect virtues that we strive for. Let's return to our lake in the eastern Sierra for our final thought. Most of the time at dusk, there is a strong breeze down the canyons and watershed which feed Virginia Lake. The breeze requires that we throw out an anchor to keep us from drifting as we're fishing. But every once in a while, usually when the sky slips into darkness, there is complete stillness. The wind dies down and it's magical. The water becomes inky black and you can hear the fish feeding see the faint outlines of deer coming down to the lake for a final drink, of coyotes and, yes, bears making their final rounds before dark, the osprey and the eagle dive for their final catch of the day, and the bats are about their business of foraging for insects. When that quietness happens, I sometimes pull up the anchor and my fishing line and just listen quietly to the beauty of the world around me. And I allow the deep, slow current of the lake to take me where it wants to go. COVID-19 has made us slow down. Perhaps to listen more carefully, to think more deeply, to appreciate more fully, the beauty of the age to come. Just as Jesus is the perfect example of when to flee and how to pursue, he is also the master of listening quietly. We see hints of this attitude throughout his ministry when he spends the night in prayer and communication with his Father, when he takes the twelve to a quiet place apart as we remember him now in bread and wine, let us be encouraged by Paul's words to Timothy, the perfect example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us resolve to flee, to pursue, to listen
0: quietly. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you are listening from to help people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this talk, share it on social media so other people can find it too. For show notes and links to the talk that you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm slash gct. We want to encourage everyone to share their thoughts from the talk this week on Facebook or Instagram, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks or on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media platforms. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.